Go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study through this book. That Acts is an example for us of what our lives as, as Christians are supposed to look like. This being an account of the early church and the same things they struggled with, the same great works God was doing through them are the same things he wants to do in us. And so every bit of it is an example for us. And before we get going, um, just to kind of front load with an example of kind of what I'm going to be focusing on today out of this section. When I was growing up, um, my I was privileged. One of my fondest childhood memories is that my grandparents owned uh, a house on a lake in Northern California that I got to spend many summers um, going to. And... Uh, I would actually look forward, I mean, it was one of the things I looked forward to most about school ending, knowing that, oh, we're heading to the lake house for the summer. And there was just lots of swimming, lots of fishing, all the things that kids just really enjoy that I'd get to do for like the whole school off season. And it was super fun. But, um, one of the, one of the, one of the, the issues, I guess, or, or the, the not so fond memories I remember, um, or just, I was just, a younger kid then, but I remember this happening, is that we lived in this, uh, we had a house in this country club on this lake, and uh, some of the houses would become rentals, basically, and so we had, like, good neighbors on either side of us, but I remember one of the houses got sold, and it became a rental, and maybe you guys have experienced this before, but sometimes, you know, when renters come in, they don't know rules, they don't know things, and, and they can kind of cause some issues, and so there were some issues with my, my grandparents because um, I remember these, these renters renting once and they didn't understand like basically what was his property or what was our property, what was their property. And they were utilizing our boat dock, which wasn't made for boats to attach to because it would start dragging it into shore and damage it. And, and so um, the way he handled it with these certain renters is he basically called the security at the gate so they could come and they would... Uh, uh, address it with these people and kind of, you know, make sure that they weren't on our property and stuff like that. And um, whereas that kind of solved the problem in a way that they got told what the rules were and, and, and you know, made known like what they shouldn't do and what they should do, it really didn't solve the heart um, issue uh, of what they were doing. And in a sense, it might have incited them to kind of do it all the more, feeling like they got tattled on. Because what happened was, well, when we were home, they, they wouldn't kind of violate those rules. But when we were gone, there was evidence they were still doing those things. And what that ultimately led to was this nasty confrontation between my gramps and this guy where they were arguing. And, you know, it didn't turn into like a physical alter, altercation, but it was just like this stressful thing or whatnot. And coming out of that, it, it, it made you wonder, made them wonder, you know, like basically, was there a better way to approach people so that it didn't escalate into something nasty. And so with the renters after that, what they would do instead of basically just kind of trying to nip the the sin in the butt, if you will, or nip the, the violation, they would, if they saw somebody doing something that they weren't comfortable with, they would go over and talk to them face-to-face, just kind of explain their heart and why they you know, were not wanting them to do it or whatnot. And that worked a lot better, just that personal talk that personal discussion that personal relationship you know listening to what they had to say and kind of expressing like you know their heart or whatnot that worked really good you know people respected that and they they honored that and 
it made me think of how in much the same way, how we approach people in this life, like unbelievers, especially those that are kind of, you know, dealing with sin issues that maybe we see blatantly or wrong because we know what God says in his word, but they're still in a deception, if you will, of, of the enemy and, and they don't understand, you know, they have a totally different viewpoint. But how we approach those people as followers of Jesus Christ can make all the difference in the world in them receiving what we have to say in listening to the good news we have to share with them and them understanding their sin and wanting to repent of it. And in addition, the, the, the second part of that is how we approach God and his word can also make all the difference in the world in allowing him to do the work he wants to do through that word and changing you and in, in getting rid of the things in your life that aren't good for you. You know, to be able to do that work of conforming you to the image of his son, which is the goal, which he's trying to do, all right? So in today's text, we're going to see great examples of both these things. We're going to see Paul effectively approach people with the good news of Jesus in a way that is personal, kind of through discussions, that is a good example for us to heed, because that's our goal as Christians, right? To Tell people the good news so they can believe in Jesus. Well, above anything else, there's other things God's doing in your life, but that's the one mission Jesus has given you above anything else. That's why we're still here. That's why he hasn't come back to get us because there's other people that need to be saved. Amen? Have the same hope as us. So that makes it important to kind of look at the examples here and how do, how do these believers effectively do that? We want to learn from that. And then also we see a good example of a group of people that respond the wrong way to God's word, that acts is a lesson to us in, in, in kind of a check of how we don't want to look at God's word, all right, or how we don't want to receive it. Amen? All right, so we left off in Acts 17, just to let you know where we were, because it was a couple of weeks ago. Paul and his crew, they left Thessalonica. They're on this missionary journey, their second missionary journey. And they preached there. A lot of people got saved, but they also got persecuted by the people that didn't believe in the truth. And they kind of got run out of town. And they end up in this place called Berea. And Berea, uh, the people there are called to be more noble because not only are they eager to receive the word of God, but they're also eager to kind of dig into it and, and examine the scriptures for themselves to make sure what was being told to them was accurate. And the result of that was a lot of them got saved. There was a lot of fruit and, but what happened was the, the, the people that were unbelievers back in Thessal- Thessalonica, they get word of this and they're not happy with just, you know, Paul and his crew leaving them and they come to this town Berea and they basically cite up every, incite everyone up against Paul and his company and they run them out of town again. Basically Paul leaving, uh, Timothy and Silas staying back to continue to preach and, and disciple and teach the word to the new believers there. But Paul leaves and he goes to Athens. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. So let me read the text we're going to be in, and then I will pray, and then we'll start going through it verse by verse. So it says, verse 16, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? 
And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. I practiced this word. I really did. Areopagus. Areopagus. Yes. I'm not Greek, but I did practice that. Still struggling. It sounds, it's pronounced like it sounds. That's why I was, yeah, anyways. So he brought them to the Areopagus and saying, we may know that this new teaching, or may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for. You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing Something new. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just pray again, Lord, as we were praying in the prayer room before, we we want to have um, spirits and souls that are receptive of your word, like the good soil that Jesus talked about. We don't want to be rocky. We don't want to be hard. We don't want to be shallow. We want the seeds of your word to fall on us and grow with deep roots so that we can experience the blessing and the practical benefits that you intend for each of us in knowing your word, but not only knowing it, but being able to live it out and how you intend us to in our lives. And so this is a great little section that has a lot of practical things in approaching your word and sharing your word with others that we can learn from. So Lord, we want to receive your word and and, in the specific word that you want to speak to each of us and how it applies to us in this place today in jesus name amen so verse 16 says now while paul was waiting for them that would be silas and timothy who were back in berea while he was waiting for them at athens his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons or the God-fearing Gentiles that had come to know the Jewish God and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there, okay? So again, Paul, he's moved on from Berea to Athens. Timothy and Silas are back discipling people. Now, Athens should sound familiar, right? It was a big city then, really well-known. It's a big city now, capital of Greece. Um, It was known... It's kind of the, and it's still kind of considered by a lot of people today to be kind of the intellectual capital of the world. There's many famous philosophers that lived there at some point or, or grew up there, and that was kind of a big deal at this time. Many of the people would have been considered highly educated that lived there. Um, it was also known, it still is known for having amazing architecture uh, in, in arts. It was, uh, you know, because it was a big thriving city, because of these things that it was known where there were a bunch of smart people and that were well known for their philosophies at the time. It was, it, it had a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures. So it was very culturally diverse. And that led to what some estimate over 3,000 altars and temples representing different religions uh, uh, for the worship of different deities being located there. A lot of those, the remnants of them still standing, a pretty cool place to go and see things. I haven't been there. Has anyone been to Athens before? I would love to go to Athens and kind of see that stuff. But all that to say is that's where he's at. 
And it's interesting to note that none of that amazing stuff catches his attention, right? Instead, what he sees is he sees all these people caught up in idolatry, just worshiping all different types of things, whether it's actual little, you know, idols, figurines or whatnot, or worshiping education or worshiping arts or worshiping, you know, like these philosophers. He just sees everybody caught up in all of these things that he knew were really not what they needed. Like they were a no eternal value to them. He understood what they were truly searching for. And he's filled with compassion. Or verse 16 says that his spirit was provoked. There's probably a lot of feelings going on in him. He's probably righteously angry at some of this. He's probably, uh, you know, like, like just moved at the fact that these people are all deceived and, and, and like he has the answer to what they're looking for. This is a, you know, should sound pretty familiar because isn't this kind of like what we see in the world we live in today, right? I mean, we should be able to relate to this because what do you see all around you, especially in the United States? You see this idolatry, right? Ever increasing. You know, people just worshiping anything and everything, being led astray and into things that we know are harmful for them, many of us being brought out of those things, and and it grieves you, it it provokes you, it should produce the same type of compassion that he had that led him to do what? To reason with or have conversations with them, both in the synagogues, the, the Jewish religious people he'd be talking to, and then in the marketplaces, this everyday people that were in the area, whoever he came into contact with, he's compelled, he can't help himself, I need to talk to these people, him surely utilizing God's word as we've seen his, that's what he does everywhere he goes. He uses God's word to help them understand the good news of Jesus so that they could see what they truly needed and he could expose the deceptions that they had come to believe. And this is a great example, as I alluded to at the very beginning, for us to see and and follow when we see these things around us in this world. We see this idolatry. We see people lost. We see people believing lies and and doing harmful things. The first thing I want you to know and how to approach people the same way Paul did is to respond to unbelievers by personally, that's really what I want you to know, by personally giving them the good news of God's word. I'll say that one more time because that was long. My wife always tells me my points are too long, but... I couldn't shorten it. I tried to think of something catchy. It just wasn't going to happen. Respond to unbelievers personally by giving them the good news of God's word. And circle that word personally because that's really what I want to focus on. And, 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 and it's just interesting because in today's society, here's the thing. We can have a tendency to respond differently than this and this is why i'm saying it's important to note this is the first way he responded because you don't see him mobilize people to politically campaign against the sexual immorality that are that's going on at the temple of aphrodite where people basically would engage in prostitution there to worship that goddess to justify their sexual promiscuity you don't see him gather a group of people to take a stand against the alcohol abuse that was going on at the temple of bacchus because in their worship of him, they would use alcohol and really to justify their alcoholism. He didn't start a recall the governor of Athens petition because the governor was allowing the endorsement of brutality through the worship that was going on at the temple of Zeus, the god of war. He didn't do those things, right? What did he do first? 
He talked to the people personally, having discussions with them, listening to them. Why do you believe what you believe? How have you come to this conclusion? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then utilize God's word to help them become aware of their need for Jesus to save them and guide them into the real truth that they were looking for, which we're going to see that kind of explained next week in the sermon that he gives to these people. But that's basically what he did, summed up. Paul giving us a great example of the primary way God reveals himself to people in our lives. And that's everyone, your spouses, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers. It's the same for everyone. How many of you were first introduced to Jesus through somebody telling you about him personally i was i by and far that's what i hear from people that the way they found out about jesus was through a friend or a family member or somebody telling them about him in some way or another that's how god starts that's how he draws us to himself through that by and far and this should be as i mentioned this before it should be an example we want to follow or we should listen to like Basically, how do we effectively tell people about Jesus? Because again, according to the Great Commission, Mark 16, 15 is one of the instances in the gospel where Jesus tells us, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to whole, the whole creation. Before Jesus left, this is the mission he gave us, all right? And I like to remind, I like to remind us often that that mission never changes. This world, as crazy as it's getting, as crazy as it's going to get, that mission's the same until we go to be with the Lord, Right? One mission, a lot of things within that mission, but there's one mission. Tell people about Jesus, right? So knowing that's our main mission, this should perk our ears. How do we accomplish that mission? How do we be effective with that? And again, I'm pointing this out because sometimes our actions can display otherwise or be counterproductive to accomplishing that mission if we aren't careful. It's seeming at times that, and I can be guilty of this too, that we can get so caught up in seeing the depravity around us, which... Need I remind us, we all came out of, right? We were all there. It's God that saved us out of that. We didn't save ourselves, but we were all there. We thought the same way. So we should, of all people, understand why people think the way they do. But when we see that around us, we can sometimes react by like, well, I got to squelch that out. I got to get rid of that. I got to stop. I got to convince that person not to be bad anymore. But how well did that work on any of us? All right? It doesn't work to do that. And really the main thing we should be worried about, again, is like not convincing them not to sin, but introducing them to the person that can save them from their sin because they're not going to stop sinning until they're saved from it. None of us were able to do that and nobody else can do that. So let me just give you a real hot topic right now, an example of what I'm talking about, right? Let's just talk about abortion. Very hot topic. And just to make this clear so nobody goes and tweets, Pastor Chris doesn't believe in concept, life starting at conception. No, I'm 100% pro-life because God's word says that he's 100% pro-life. And God makes that clear that life starts at the moment of conception. If you disagree with that, if you're watching online, I'm confident it's just because you haven't read the parts of scripture that talk about it. right? And I would love to show you those. But you can start by reading Psalm 139. All right, But if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you and show you why that is, why God says that. There's no great truth in that, okay? That's, that's a fact, all right? So 100% for babies. 
But let's just say Roe versus Wade is overturned. And just so we're aware to make sure we're all on the same page, what that will amount to, what that will allow is basically states to have the freedom to decide whether they're going to allow abortion or not, or decide kind of the the threshold as to where it will be allowed or whatnot. It will, uh, in a sense, allow some states to basically prevent abortions from happening. In other states, probably not so much. It will probably depend whether the conservative or liberal values reside there but that that's what it'll amount to and and i do pray that that happens i am praying that that happens because that would be a good thing in accordance with god's desire to protect the precious babies that he has created in his image amen that's what the word says and so knowing that that's in line with god's word that's the that's what i pray happens all right that lives are protected but here's what i want to challenge you with do you think if that happens that's going to change anyone's mind that does not agree that life is more important than your freedom of choice it's not all right actually i think you've really seen the beginnings before this has even been overturned there's just talk about it right now it just makes them more angry all right because they don't they, they see things from a completely different perspective, just like probably most of us did before we were saved, all right? I was on the other end of that before I was saved. I remember going to college before I got saved in college and going to pro-choice rallies. And I remember shortly after I was saved, seeing a famous musician that had a rock concert there that was promoting um, pro-choice and this is after shortly I was saved and I was listening to what they were saying. This is when I was young and naive in the word of God. I didn't understand it. And I was convinced that what he was saying, it convinced me into like, oh, yeah, what he's saying is a good point. And I came home and I talked to my wife about it. And she's like, let me just open up God's word and explain something to you. And she took the time to explain to me and show me like what like 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 God's value for life that we're creating his image. And when light image and I was just like, oh, you're. Yeah, God's right. You're right because God's right. Not you're not because I mean, my wife is always right. But all that to say is she was right because God's right. That's why she's always right, because she knows the word. Love you, honey. She's home with our sick boy right now. All right. So anyways, oh, my Bible's falling apart. That's somewhat of a good sign. If your Bible's falling apart, it means you're in it a lot. But I'm going to have to rebind it. All right. And this is OK. So now. My point in all that was, again, that's not going to convince people. And that's because laws put into place to prevent abortion, as good as it might be, are not addressing the root of the problem. But what they're addressing is the symptom. And as just as any other sickness, the symptom of sin, they're always going to be present until the cause of the problem is taken care of. Okay? It's like it's like you have some sort of disease that can be cured by some type of medicine, but basically the symptoms of that disease is that you have a runny nose and you just keep wiping it, hoping the disease goes away. It doesn't work that way, all right? You've got to address the root of the problem. And changing people's minds about things that God says are wrong or sinful starts with changing their hearts, which only God is capable of doing, and it's only through hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the teaching of his word. And as such, our first and foremost reaction to seeing, just like Paul, all this immorality, all this idolatry around us, including abortion, should be the same as Paul's in that we have compassion for people, knowing that, like Ephesians 2 says, man, they're following the ways of the world. They're following the ways of the enemy, just like we all once were, right? 
before Jesus came in and miraculously saved us. So we have compassion and then it compels us to reason with them or have discussions utilizing the truth of God's word to show them their need for Jesus to save them and guide them into what is good for them, what is right. And I'm not saying it's wrong to promote or endorse or vote for politicians in legislation that promotes God and his word. We're, we're seeking the betterment of the country by doing that. And of course, we want good things for other people. So that's not bad. But it would be an error to think that changing the people we have in office or the laws we have in place are going to change the sinfulness of mankind. All right. And sometimes we like we can approach it that way, thinking like this is going to fix the problem. The problem isn't going to be fixed till Jesus comes back. We can slow it down, but it's not. All right. And that's why, like when you see like verses like John five, that says the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. There's lots of talk of how Jesus is a light because he helps you see things clearly right in the darkness of this world. But it never says the darkness goes away. It just says that Jesus in you overcomes it, all right? Just like if this room was dark and I turned on the light, the light overcomes the dark. It shines so you can see. That's what we are in this world. And as it grows darker, you're just shining brighter. But the darkness doesn't go away. You can't make it go away. Jesus will make it go away when he comes back. But that's important for us to understand because it helps us have those right motives. And that's exactly why you don't see Paul responding like just saying, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to, you know, get rid of this. You know, like he doesn't respond that way. Instead, he's like, hey, can I have a conversation with you? You know, I noticed this. You know, why is that? Why do you do that? Or why do you think that? Oh, well, here's what God's word actually says about that. And here's what I've come to realize in my life. You know, and, and he conversed with them. And here's the thing. What I've learned in being a Christian over 20 years now, if you want to see real change in people, I can I can guarantee that using God's word to share the gospel with them so God can change their hearts is going to be far more effective than trying to attack it backwards and trying to convince them that you're right and that they're wrong. Amen? Amen. And as such, we need to just check ourselves to make sure that's our primary goal. That's our primary motive. That's the primary way. You can attack the sin all you want, but if you don't ever give him Jesus, you're not going to solve the root of the problem. Amen? All right. Verse 18. It says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now, we talked about Epicureanism a couple weeks ago. It was a train of thought that basically you should live your life just to make yourself happy. Do whatever pleasure, whatever gives you pleasure because life is short and there's nothing after life. There's no afterlife. So you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to consider that. Just live for the here and now. The whole idea of YOLO, you only live once. That's kind of like the philosophy of Epicureanisms. And then the Stoics were kind of the complete opposite. They were not about living based off of doing what you feel. They were about living virtuously and morally, kind of like a legalist living under a law determined by humans. This is what's good, so we want to be good people, and we want to react accordingly, all right? So they were kind of night and day. But both of those philosophers are interested in what Paul has to say, and they're conversing with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So Paul's talking with these people, and in addition to talking to the religious people, in talking to 
the people in the markets, just the everyday people. He's talking to these people that would have been considered real smart, these philosophers. And some of them are just like, what is this guy talking about? Like, they, they probably just didn't believe in God at all. And they're like, he's just babbling. And then others are saying, well, he's talking about something we haven't heard before. Maybe this is a God from like a foreign land. And we want to know about this. We want to add to our head knowledge. And it was probably especially intriguing for these Epicurean and Stoics because he's talking about what? Jesus in the resurrection. And neither of them believed in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection. So they're like, this is new to us. I want to hear what this guy has to say. And what I want you to note here, though, what's good for us to see is that no matter who Paul's talking to, whether it's intellectuals, whether it's religious people, whether it's just your normal everyday person, his focus of his message is always the same. What does it say his focus was in verse 18 there at the end? He was preaching Jesus in the resurrection or Christ in Christ crucified. Since it's God that is doing the work through the word. And since his desire is that none shall perish and all shall come to repentance. That's everyone in this world. The message we have is universally effective for anyone you come into contact with. Okay? Doesn't need a change. It's not dependent on you presenting in a certain way because this person's from a certain culture group. or that. No. I mean, it does... You got to know the language. That's that's why there's missionaries that translate things into different languages. But having said that, it's universally effective. And that's good for us to remember. And that's the second point I want you to know. Always respond to unbelievers with the same good news about Jesus. Number two, always respond to unbelievers with the same good news about Jesus. We all have the same need. We all need to be saved from our sin. The gospel is how that happens. So don't complicate it. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Keep it the same for everyone. Amen? All right. Verse 19. And then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Dylan, is that right? Areopagus. Is that right? Thank you. I need my pronunciation thing. Like I, I, I go to that. All right. So if you don't know what that is, it was this place at the center of Athens. It was on this hill. It's also called Mars Hill. I like that better because I can say that. But having said that, it was where all the smart people would come. The philosophers, the Supreme Court kind of in the area would meet there. And they just talk about all the news, the new stuff, the new thoughts, the new religions, the new things about education. They would come and they would talk here. And he got invited there. It says saying we like they invite him there saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So anytime there was a new religious idea, it was kind of the hot thing to understand these smart people. Uh, the people that would consider themselves really educated, they had to know what this new thing was. And so his message is something new, and it earns them an invitation to kind of share it at this place. And these people, uh, though, I want you to note what it says about these Athenians is that they lived to spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing. All right, so basically these people, they're wanting him to come and share it with them, not because they're so much interested in having their minds change about what they believe, but basically just adding to the vast knowledge that they already had, okay? And that right there is something 
that was a result of education being uh, regarded high in that society and to the extreme of it becoming one of the many forms of idolatry. And that becoming a form of idolatry still in our country today, still in this world today, and even in the church if we're not careful. Understand something. If God's word to us is just a bunch of knowledge that we're putting in our heads, like some of the people here in Athens were approaching Paul's message, it's going to be of little to no benefit to you. Because here's the thing, you can't do anything with it without God's help. You can't live to it. If it's just a set of do's and don'ts, guess what? It's the law. And ultimately what the law shows us is that we need to be saved from it. We need to be saved from ourselves because we can't follow it no matter how hard we try. And so this leads to the third point, all right? Make sure you are responding to God's word correctly in your life. Number three, make sure you're responding to God's word correctly in your life. The way I like to look at it is that God's word is not something to just view. It's something that you need to view your life through. Think of it this way. How many of you guys wear contacts or glasses? How many of you guys are blind without them? So, Imagine you taking off your contact or glasses. I have them too. I'm not blind, but it's definitely blurry without them. So like when I get up in the morning, like things are blurry. That's how my life was before Christ. Basically, I couldn't tell what what was what. I I had no idea. I, I thought I did, thought I could figure things out, but it was really just a blur. That was the reality of my life. And then when I got saved, it was like putting on glasses Now I can see. And this is what God's word does for us. It helps us see. That's why your mind was so radically changed in so many things. It's like God has saved you. He's opened your eyes. And now you have his word to guide you into seeing for the very first time. And it's amazing. Because, I mean, it's such, it's like, it's like a paradox. Like the things that God says, you know, oh, I, I I don't have to hate that person because they wronged me. I can love them. Yeah. That's what Jesus did to you. You know? Oh, I I, I can still be grieving because I'm going through something hard, but at the same time have hope knowing that God is doing something in it and is going to bring me out of it eventually and I'm going to be better off than I was before. What? It's just craziness. But all of a sudden you see for the very first time and it's amazing. God gave us his word so that we can know who he is and how he feels about us and of and to show us of our need for him to save us and be the Lord of our lives. But that relationship he desires with you can only start through your sins being forgiven, which, hap- which happens not from you only knowing it. It can't just be head knowledge. It has to come from believing and having faith in it or understanding that you really need this. This is a necessity for you to live. Jesus is a necessity for you to live. That's why he said, I came to bring life and life abundantly. You're not really living without him. You can think you are, but how it often is or how it is for all of us apart from him is that we never feel that contentment. We never feel like we've arrived. We never feel that satisfaction. We think we're going to find it in all these things because we have this longing inside of us and it, and it, and it, it manifests itself in your flesh 
and you think, if I just had this, if I just had this, if I just, or if I, you know, this wasn't going on and whatever it might be, but you never find it because that longing is for God, the one that created you. And until he fills it, you always feel that way, all right? And true faith results in surrendering your life over to God so he can change you for the better and, and allow him to produce a desire in you to live according to his word, empower you to do it. That's what Philippians 2.13 says. This is where God is behind this. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You read his word. The Holy Spirit gives you desire. This, this is what I want. This is good. This is right. This is what I've been looking for. I can see for the first time. And then God gives you the power to live it out. It's all God. So reading under, and understanding his word is so much more than just gaining head knowledge. It reveals to us God's character. So we fall in love with him. He's already in love with us. But we need to fall in love with him. And when we see how awesome and great he is, you just fall more and more in love. And that leads you to desire the things he tells you in his word that he desires for you. Just like when you realize your spouse loves you and you want what they want. Because you know it must be for good for you. Because of their, their, their care they've demonstrated for you. It's the same thing with God. And then that help, then you look to him and he can practically help you live those things out. So you can experience the blessing that he intends for you in your life. I love what Warren Wiersbe, commentator, Bible scholar, had to say about us. He says, we don't read the Bible to mark precious promises, although hundreds of them are there. Nor do we read the Bible to understand Bible doctrine, although doctrine is essential. We read the Bible to get to know the heart and mind of God. The better we know God, the better we can enjoy him and minister for him. Amen? So despite what some would think, What people need today, more than anything else, including us as believers, just like the people in Athens, is not to learn some new truth or understanding, but rather to receive and believe the truth of God's word that has been here for eternity, since the beginning. And Paul exhorts a young pastor, Timothy, regarding this very thing in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. There's this desire that's crept even into the church of like, I need something new. There has to be something more. Oh, that sounds good. I like the sound of that. It's like your ear when it itches. What do you do? You itch it. Oh, that feels good. That feels good. Even though it's totally opposite of what his word says, but it feels good. And that's what you don't want to make the mistake of, of going after. Maybe you've heard it said before. If it's, if it's true, then it's not new. Or if it's new, then it's not true. I get worried when I, I hear believers say sometimes, I'm not learning anything new. I already know all of God's word. I I need to learn the deeper things in scripture. There's meat and milk in scripture for sure. Paul refers to both those. Milk's the stuff that's just really easy to understand. I get this. I can swallow this just like a baby can handle milk, right? Meat's stuff you got to chew on for a while. God's got to, in a sense, help you learn it through your life. So there are those things. But understand something. There's always one meaning in scripture. But there's numerous applications depending on what you're dealing with in life. And therefore, you're never going to know it to the fullest. Never will. At least in this life. 
You may, you may have read it and know the meaning, but God will teach you practically how to utilize it, utilize it in different ways at different times in your life, depending on what you're going through in completely different ways. I often say that you may know or I may know the basics of Christianity, but knowing them isn't the goal. Living them is the goal. And that's a whole nother thing. Because I've read this thing front to back many times, but I can tell you right now that I'm still very much being taught how to live these things in my life daily, all right? Let's just go to the greatest commandment in Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment in this is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor. I'm sorry, I was too loud. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. How many of you guys got that down? Love God undivided. Never be distracted by anything else. And then love people as you love yourself. I mean, basically, here's a test, all right? So the reason my tendency can be initially in any discussion to think that I'm right is because I love myself. Oh, surely I'm right. And usually it's God that has to correct me, like, you know, through my wife often, but sometimes other people too, like, to show me, like, no, you're not right. You don't know everything. Well, if you're truly loving others as yourself, then here's going to be your first reaction anytime you're talking to somebody. Oh, you're right. I'm wrong. That's the way you're going to look at them. All right. That's just one of the many tests, but none of us have arrived there. The very things that we often say are the basics. Those are the hardest things to learn. And that we're very much learning to different degrees our whole entire life. So like I said, you're never going to exhaustively learn the word of God because you're still learning it. You may know it, but that's not the goal. The goal is to learn and live it so that you can look more like Jesus. You can be conformed to the image of God's son, which is a continual process. God tells us that he promises will be completed and the day we're with him. Amen. That's our hope. But we're all works in progress, all right? So that's important to know because that helps us approach God's word correctly. I need this. This isn't just something to add to my head. It's like I need this to know how to live my life. And I need it. I'm learning it to an ever-increasing degree. It doesn't matter if I've read through this chapter in Acts a million times. Lord, what do I need to learn today? Amen? So just kind of... As I close up here, and the worship team can make their way up here, you want to see change in the people in this world around you? Again, the only way that's going to come is by tackling the root of the problem in this world, which is sin. All right? And there's only one way to address that. All right? If we try to address it any way, other way, which, like I said, I can be guilty of, we can be guilty of if we're not careful, it's in a sense like coming to a gun battle with a knife. You've come with the wrong weapon. There's one battle. It's the spiritual battle above all other battles. And the sword of truth, the word of God, the good news of the gospel through the word of God, that's the only weapon that will be successful. So that's the weapon we use first and foremost in sharing the good news of Jesus with people so that problem can be fixed. And it's the same good news with whoever we're sharing with. Amen? So we follow his example and out of compassion for this world around us that is suffering in their sin, that is dying, we are compelled to reason with them and have discussions with them. Amen? And if you want to grow 
in your own personal relationship with God, knowing him at a deeper level, seeing great change in your own life as you're being further conformed to the image of him, there's one thing to do. Be devoted to his word, just like the early church in Acts 2.42. Not approaching it as something that you already know, but something that I need to know this. I need to learn this. I need to live this. God, help me do that. Transform me. And Paul actually tells us that in Romans 12, 1 through 2. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let him be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Here it is. Don't copy the way the, or the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's it. How does he do that? Through his word. We're no longer like we used to be. We see things clearly now. So we don't try to go to the world for advice. We don't try to look to things of the world to lead our thinking. We don't think like the rest of the world. When we see something in God's word that is contrary, love your enemy. It's not that, well, I can't do that. No. Okay, I struggle with this, God. But you want me to do this. And I know that it's by your power I can do this. So help me learn this. Help me learn this because I have this offense against this person. And in my mind, it's justified. But I know that it's not a question of that because you had offenses against me and they were surely justified. Yet you sat there on that cross and you said, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. So I want that. I want that grace. I want to show the grace you've shown me. Help me do it. That's how we approach God in his word. That's the right way. Amen? Amen. We're going to have our prayer team around the room. This is our opportunity to respond to what God has been teaching us through his word. I would guess that so often I hear like people say, like, man, it was like you were talking about something directly in my life. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. God is talking to you directly about something in your life because he's in this room right now. You're his and he loves you. Maybe that's for you. You've been brought here. You're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You you never admitted your sin to him, acknowledged it, and repented. It means turn from your sin. You turn to God. You ask him to come in and save you. And right now, that, that feeling of like, that's me. I, I need to do that. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you, showing your need for God to save you from your sin. And you can do that in this place. It's as simple as acknowledging that you're not perfect and you need God's forgiveness which comes through faith in his son who died on a cross so your sins could be paid for. You can do that right now. You can call out to God and he will answer that and he will come into your life and he will change you for the better. Restore those things that were broken just like we were praising him for at the beginning. You can come up and get prayer with one of the people we have around the room. We'll lead you in a prayer if you're more comfortable doing that. If you don't even know what to say, you just know you need God. For the rest of us, maybe we're in that place of like, Man, my priorities are out of whack. Like I've been trying to change this person in my life. I know they have sin and it really grieves me that they have sin. And I've been trying to convince them not to do it. But really what I see now is I just need to convince them that, you know, they need Jesus. I need to give them the good news. I need to keep giving them the good news. And then pray and trust God to reveal himself to them. Or maybe we're kind of in that camp of like, this is just head knowledge to us. We haven't experienced change in our lives, which absolutely should be there. 
It looks different. That change happens at a different speed for each of us over time and stuff, but there most certainly should be change if you're approaching God and his word right. Because the very thing you're acknowledging in repentance is, I need to change, and I can't change myself. So God, come and help me change, because I want to experience the better life you have for me. And you have that, that freedom right now, just to be open and honest with God. He already knows. You're not bringing anything to his attention that he doesn't already know. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He only wants you to be open because at that point of humility, of acknowledging your need, that's all he needs to help. He can step in and go like, amen. Now I can help you because you understand your need for me to help. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, so thankful that you're so willing to help all of us. Wherever we're at in this place, Lord, I pray that We'd be humble enough just to ask for help. Maybe we need help in, 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 in a sense, understanding that we're not looking at your word the wrong way. Somehow we've, we've lost it. It's just become head knowledge. And we're sorry for that because we know that there's, no, that there's never going to be a time where we don't need your word to be taught to us, for us to learn it, to live it. And so we want to look at it as a necessity and, and allow you to speak it into us that as even as I prayed at the beginning so that the seeds of it just fall into good soil that grow and produce fruitful plants, Lord, or fruit in our lives. Lord, if, if we have have people in our lives, even right now, I just feel that pressure in my heart. Maybe there's people in our lives that we've kind of been going about it wrong and kind of trying to help them be free of their sin. Our motives are right. We want to see good things in their lives. We want them to be saved from their sin. And But we need to follow Paul's example and we just need to give them the good news. It's your kindness that draws us to repentance, Lord. That's what saved us. So we want to be those that extend that grace to those around us so that they can see their sin and repent and, and see their need for you to save them, Lord. Whatever it might be, Lord, just... Speak to your people right now. In Jesus' name, amen.